This is Jets at Noon with Cameron Poitras and Jim Toth on 680 CJOB. I don't know how many times I've seen this happen where, you know, you go 11 and 7, you lose a guy in the like, second shift of the game, and now you're down to 10 forwards. The guy's stepped up huge. Um, guys had to play different roles, different situations, um, different lines. Um, but, um, yeah, no, that was Stan just, we needed to get him in the game. We, we sent Chiz down to get him his ice down there, and we had to get Stan rolling here too. So, um, you know, we're going to need people down the road. So that was more than, that was a little bit by design, obviously. Right, I remember you saying after the last game that you were looking to, to get him in. Yeah, and the other thing too, the, sorry to interrupt you, was that we don't play until Friday, and I was hoping that we had 11 forwards, uh, but I was going to get, you know, Ehlers more ice. I want to get Perfetti ice. I want to get Casey out there a little bit more. And they all could jump on that fourth line and got to do that a couple times. And then obviously uh, Coop got hurt. It is kind of how it happens. I remember the Jets were doing some, uh, you know, uh, situations like that. Seven defensemen, 11 forwards last year. And they were able to escape it. But this year, uh, Kapari goes down quite early. And the bench shortens real quick. And there was other instances during that game in the 6-3 win over the New Jersey Devils yesterday where, you know, Nick Ehlers was in the box for a prolonged period of time. Mark Scheifele near the end of the game goes into the box for a prolonged period of time. Um, And they were running with nine forwards. I mean, it was essentially a three-line game for the Winnipeg Jets. Um, But those three lines with the added extra ice time, Jim, played pretty dang well last night as they beat the New Jersey Devils. I mean, it was a... A pretty good game and lots of guys to highlight and um, lots of guys to highlight in, in, in who had just fantastic games yesterday. Yeah, it was a really big win because they went up 2 nothing. then they were tied 2-2 yeah. real quick. They got one back before the period ended, Cam, and then they sort of owned the third period. So I really liked their second period until they gave up those two goals. But I, you know, I was chuckling when Scott O'Neill said that. And the other thing he did say was um, in the post game was uh, referencing some other stuff we're going to talk yeah. about. But that whole idea of oh, the fact that he's like it's kind of like junior A or junior hockey yeah. when you get to that point where you just all of a sudden you get, you know, he didn't mention this, but maybe a line brawl or you get some yeah. some guys you know that aren't playing or injured, and then all of a sudden you're just rolling every second shift. You're you're double shifting. There are guys in the dub that play 28 minutes a night. Yeah. Um. So it's it, I, I was chuckling at that because I thought the same thing as soon as Kapari went your down. Shift, keep your shift short because you're going to be going up back <laughs> out there pretty quickly. Every time, every time you go with seven defensemen, a forward goes down eventually, and then your lines are. But here's what I like about what he did. So I was watching online and, mm-hmm. and saw once warm-ups came out and Stanley was out there that I thought um, maybe a defenseman is banged up or he's going to go with seven. Mm-hmm. I loved his explanation there. We got to get him into a game. We needed Chisholm to get some time. Yeah. Um, Gustafson's been playing well, but you have to have something so that it lines out. And yeah. look, first period, Kyle Connor's out there with the fourth line. It um it was a calculated risk, and I agree with the risk that was taken. It didn't end up. I mean, it, of course, it ends up working. The Winnipeg Jets win the game, but when you know you have Rasmus Kupari out there and he plays a minute and eighteen seconds over the course of the first period before he goes down, all of a sudden the bench gets shortened. It, it the risk it, it didn't work out technically because that's exactly what you're trying to avoid. But over the course of the game, it did work out, and I I agree it was it was the right choice going into it, regardless if the Jets ended up winning or losing. It's just. It speaks to what the organization's trying to do, right? And, yeah. and so when people get upset that, 
you know, somebody like Gustafson might be a healthy scratch and Logan Stanley's playing, when you hear the explanation for it and what they're doing and two practice days and then Buffalo and the practice days they have mm. before, you've got to get guys involved. You've got to get guys in the lineup. And for everybody who goes, no, you don't, like Stanley can just sit in the press box forever. No, he can't because no. he might be up there for two months and then somebody goes down for six weeks. And all of a sudden you have four games in a six or seven day span. And this guy who hasn't played a game in three months, every three weeks, you got to get some guys involved. Yeah, you really do. Yeah. And it's, it's difficult to really sort of review and, and go over Logan Stanley's game, you know, bit by bit because of that exact reason. Well, he gets into a game and then I see on social media, the usual, oh, his third shift, he's got a turnover. I'm surprised he didn't have one his first shift. He hasn't played in a month. Yeah. Uh, I just think people think it's, you know, so easy to just get into a game and be up to speed. And mm. I heard, um, you know, Stanley himself on the TV broadcast during the intermission was saying, you just got to work hard and practice and do as much as you can in, in the weight room and everything else in it, but you're still not going to be ready. Like yeah, you can't. we've talked about the players out of the gate after training camp and how it took them four or five games to get going and um like brendan Dillon, for example mm-hmm. and some of the guys you're like oh the, these guys aren't really flying right now nick Ehlers, <laughs> hopefully that gets him going but yeah yeah we'll talk about um him. so anyway I, I i love the explanation that scott o'neill had after the game of, of why they went this route and and how yes he got bit by it right away when he's <laughs> he loses a forward yeah. when he only has 11 but um i thought it was a really good game i thought once again they played their the thing i'm impressed with is not only what we've talked about all since training camp, the the spread out lineup and the fact that their five on five is really good. And that's how they have to be from yeah. the drop of the puck to the end of the third camp. I'm really impressed with how, like, I mean, I'm even shell shocked. So I understand why some fans are when you're up two nothing and it's two, two, here we go. Yeah. Like it's just, and I heard Greg Mackling talking about this with John Shannon today on the start here on 680 CGOB and just saying, you know, we want to buy into this start after 15 games, but we remember last year and we got burnt. This is a fan base that has been burnt by not this lineup, but this organization mm-hmm. where every time something starts looking really good or, I mean, remember the season of the blow in leads with eight minutes or less to go. Yeah. And and that's how they lost to that St. Louis playoff series and stuff. I'm really impressed with how they stay the course up three, one down three, one up to nothing tied to two last mm-hmm. night. They get a goal. They go into the third and it's not, let's hang on to the three, two, they end up winning 6-3. That's the part of this lineup after 15 games. I'm equally impressed as, as their depth is how they continue to just stay within their system. That was a huge goal from uh, from beautiful pass by Cole Perfetti, oh. whose vision on the ice is getting better before our eyes. And uh, as we continually watch him uh, perform and get better, he's on a seven-game point streak right now, four-goal streak, nine points over that seven-game stretch. Uh, we're starting to really see the reason why the Winnipeg Jets drafted him and why they had him so high on their list. Um, and we're real quick to snap him up at 10th when that opportunity arose. Nick Ehlers gets those two goals and the energizing fight. I, I was at the game yesterday and I felt like after Ehlers dropped the gloves, which I think uh, I think there was a collective of people that were getting a little nervous when he go, when he goes and does that. But listen, um, you know, no harm, no foul. He doesn't get injured. Don't do don't do that too often. Um, well, his funny days were over until yesterday. Well, I, hold on. I'll play that clip. Hold on one sec. <laughs> it's funny because I literally, uh, my mom and my sister are in town right now. And uh, earlier today, I told them that my fighting days are probably uh, over with all the injuries I've had. So, um, yeah, that lasted about five hours.
<laughs> okay, well, you tell your mom something like that, you know that it's going out the window quick. Uh, so obviously, here's a guy, like his mom and sister come to town, and yeah. this is what I take from it. I read between lines and stuff, but I, I took from it, like, how are you feeling? You were injured in training camp, and how are you doing? He probably hasn't seen his mom or his sister since he left to come to training camp. Yep. yep. So he's talked to them probably on Zoom and everything, but your your mother gets here, and you're sitting down with you know your family, and you're like, I feel better. I'm still, this is, like, who knows? I don't know. I'm just paraphrasing. But the point I'm trying to make is, and he probably says, because, makes a joke, but because of it, my fighting days are over. Like, I'm just, I want to have a healthy season. Mm-hmm. I need to get some healthy, some 82 games in, and I want to yeah. be healthy. So, you know, like he's probably saying, like I said, after Saturday's Bomber game, my partying days are over. Um, my, my fighting days are over. <laughs> yeah. And then lo and behold, something like that happens, and adrenaline takes over. Mm-hmm. And so he does this. I loved what Josh Morrissey said on the 680 CGB postgame show, too, about how, you know, has he fought in anybody in his weight class? And uh, he always seems to go after guys way bigger. And than every him. time he every time he steps up and does this, this is his seventh career fight. Yeah. Josh is like, always like, oh, no, don't do it. But then he gets going, and it's like, yeah, that's not bad. Even he took that shot at the end. That's kind of a high number for a guy like Ehlers, don't you Seven think? Career Seven career fights. And, and they were talking on the post game last night with Kelly Moore and crew and Gilawoychuk and that about how, Chris Romel, how he took on Ryan Getzlaff. And I'm like, I forgot all about that. And how much respect they had for Getzlaff. Like, Dwayne Gilawoychuk mm-hmm. broke it down perfectly when he said, I remember that fight. And Getzlaff was like, if you want to do this, I'll do it. But also, you're you're out of your control, so I'm just going to teach okay. you a lesson that you shouldn't do this. Because Getzlaff did not. Getzlaff won the fight, but he didn't unleash the fury like he could have. Yeah. Um, but credit to him. It, like, there's cliches in hockey, and Scott O'Neill addressed that too. This isn't a cliche. Mm-hmm. And for anybody who sits here and talks about fighting and doesn't want it in the game and all this – I'm not proponing to keep it in the game or anything like that. I'm just saying you cannot deny what it does. And if you are denying what it does, it's because you're not on that bench and you're not in that room. It is my humble and personal opinion that I like fighting and I want it to stay in hockey. And you might, and I know there's some people that are going to listen and they're not going to agree with me. And there's some people that are, that's fine. Whatever yeah, th- side of the fence you are on, I, I like fighting in the game. The players uh, have voted consistently in the high 90, not, like 97, 98% that it needs to stay in the game. And th- that's all the answer that I ever need. And this isn't a debate of fighting in the game or not. This is a debate of if you don't believe in what it does for your team, yeah. then you don't get the game of hockey. Well, the let- game of hockey is momentum. The game of hockey is heart. The game of hockey is 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 a brotherhood standing up for each other or a sisterhood in the women's game. And it really is, you cannot quantify what that does for a team when a guy like Nick Ehlers does as, that. As he's going to the penalty box, you know, the teammates, they're all hyped up. You know, Brendan Dillon goes up to him and has a go, let's let's go and stuff like that. And uh, it's, it's yeah, and if it you, can't be denied. If you don't believe me, go ask the Toronto Maple Leafs a couple of weeks ago when Marchand took one of their guys out and nobody did anything. Let's take a break. Let's come back. 204 780 We'll still talk some KC. We'll talk some Morrissey. Uh, KC's on a heater. <laughs> oh, yeah. Big time. He's on pace for 400. But don't talk about it. Shh, no. We're not mentioning hey. it. Uh, just real quick, a couple text messages. Uh, this texture says, Perfetti, unbelievable. Eyes are getting open to this kid. And, and uh, that texture says that. And then this other texture has got a totally different take don't say that about Perfetti. He looks no different than previous seasons. He's been in the right place at the right time. Nothing spectacular. 
I humbly disagree. What do you mean, right place, right time? You know, you have to <laughs> you have to know where to go and get and get there, like, right? How many fantastic vi- uh, passes has he made? You know, how many the players f- over the years I've heard. I knew where I should be. I just couldn't get there. And vice versa, players are like, I, I was where I should be, but I, I just, I mean, the guy, his skill is coming. John Shannon said this morning, there's probably a lot of relief in the front office that he's rounding into what they thought he could be. But I, I go back to, you cannot miss two straight seasons, your first two yeah. of 50 plus games and expect to just roll with the it. Jets draft. Another good one. We'll be right back. More to come. Jets at noon on 680-CJOB. We'll call Connor Jim Toth 13 goals. Tied now with Matthews for the NHL lead. Who? KC. Matthews? Austin Matthews. Austin? Who's that? I never heard of him. I can't um, even read his name. And then uh, Josh Morrissey. First ever four assist night by D-Man in franchise history. You know what? Morrissey had such a good game yesterday, and it was a quiet game. I felt, yeah, there wasn't he wasn't out there. There wasn't like, and it was, and I and I say that with the with the utmost as an utmost compliment. It was a it was a quiet great effort from him yesterday. Yeah, he didn't really stand out to me, and then the points started racking up. Yeah, but um, that's what's good about Josh Morrissey, right? And that's what's good about defensemen. Look, I've I've kept my receipt. Is this the year, Kyle Corner Kyle Connor fifty? I've always said, even on when Line A was here, Kyle Connor will be the first Jets 2.050 goal scorer. He's on pace for 60-plus. Yeah, 60-plus. I, I, I don't know when, and it could be this year, he will score 50 goals in this league one year. And hey. I think it's going to be for the Jets, and it might be this year. Senior writer and reporter with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Ed Tate, will join us in Hamilton for the Eddie. Great Cup. We'll talk some Blue Bombers, Great Cup! Uh, and then still to come... Uh, what is it, 9.30 at night there? Something like that. Oh, no, this is not Newfoundland. It's Hamilton. Yeah, and then uh, Hellebuck. We'll talk some Hellebuck talk goaltending and uh, changes to three-on-three. Are they coming? We'll be right back. Jets at noon on 680 CJOB. Thank you very much to Skylar Peters. Thanks, Skylar. My pleasure, gentlemen. It was 15.6 degrees on November 15th, 1939. I did know that. That's a lot of degrees. That's a very high number for that time of year. (laughs) Look, we're getting all this stuff about fighting in hockey, especially from Dylan. Dylan, if you follow my career, I've always been a proponent for keeping it in hockey. Yeah. So I'm not riding the fence. I'm telling you there is a debate out there of whether it should or shouldn't, and I'm not addressing that. I'm not addressing the fact of what it does. Yes. I'm with you. I think there's, for everybody, Greg Macklin isn't. Greg Macklin and I on this station for decade, for <laughs> yeah, over a decade yeah. have highly debated fighting in hockey, yeah. and I defend it all the time. And you know why I defend it? Because the last time the PA of 700-plus players voted, 97% of them voted to keep it in the game. I talked to Brian Little, and he said, I want it in the game, and I don't fight. Well, I- and the reason I said why, and he goes, because I go into the corners totally different if you're not allowed to fight. I know that somebody will step up if, I, if a liberty is taken on me, and I play the game totally differently. How did you react and yesterday? That's what, I, that's what I tell all the people who say fighting doesn't have an impact. Talk to the players. Well, that's it that for me. Play the game and do it. That's all it is to me too, as well. And then at the other side, how did it make you feel yesterday seeing Ehlers drop the gloves? Maybe you were nervous. Maybe you're nervous, but I'll tell you, if you were in the rink last night and you were when you were there, everybody stood up and everybody was jazzed. I'm just telling you, there's it brings energy to the game. 
And I'm a fan of it. I, so, I like it. So I when like somebody it. tells me it's not part of the game, I'm like, it's been a part of the game for over 100 years. No, it's part of the game. And it's, then for people who always say, just uh, what you said, you ever see a fight in an arena and people stay in their seats? No, they get up. If you don't like it, I get it. Yeah. I talked to Chris Thorburn extensively about this when he was a Jet, and he said, I, I get a kick out of the public thinking I don't know the what could happen. Yeah. I know more about concussions and the effect of fighting than anybody watching this game because it's what I do. I've looked into it, and I'm fine with it. And there's a major impact on the game from it. So I just wanted to clarify that, that don't call me out that I I, will, I ride the fence on this. I've never rode, ridden the fence on it. I just don't want to get into a debate about it today because that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the effect it has on the team, not whether it belongs in the game or not. And then look what happens. And right? then look what and happens. And then look what happens. Yeah. Uh, let's go to Hamilton uh, for our Great Cup report. It's brought to you by Perfect Landscape Construction, your family-owned and operated commercially commercial landscaper since 1977. And we bring on to the show the great Ed Tate, senior writer and reporter with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers from Hamilton. Hey, Ed, how you doing? I feel like you guys are got me fired up here. You want to go here? Let's let's rock and roll. Want to fight, Eddie? You you want you want a piece of me? <laughs> you want a piece of me? <laughs> it's go time! It's go time! That's right, exactly. Um, Van, oh, was it uh, the Vandal Bombs? Was that what they were? The Mighty ba- Vandal, Vandal Bombs. Yeah. The Vandal Bombs, yeah. Vandal it was also uh, Vandal Bombs. Ale- <laughs> Elaine and Mr. Costanza. That's you right. think my son is smart enough to come up with something like this on his own? That TV? You saying you want a piece of me? Eddie, how's Hello. Hamilton? It's fantastic. I heard you guys, uh, the, the weather report coming in. It's 15 here, so I don't know. It's crazy. The last time... We were here uh, in Hamilton for the Grey Cup. It was December, the first week of December, and it was not like this. So soaking up every minute of it, it's it's been good so far. Uh, no practice today. I know that um, Sean and Big Hill were not participants yesterday. Now, Ed, I know you got no inside information here, but you know what's got to be my first question because it's the first question yeah. I hear all around town. Uh, is there a potential that Dalton Schoen and Adam Big Hill find their way into the game on Sunday? Well, they are practicing today. First of all, it's oh, they are to the media. Oh, okay. It is close to the media, though, so okay. I can't. We can't. Yesterday, I took a snapshot of, of Big Hill standing on the sidelines uh, without a boot on, and it blew up on the old Twitter machine. So um, I'm not at practice today because it's closed to everybody. So I, I mean, I think Coach O'Shea would say the same thing because he already has. It's uh, he's not going to rule out anybody, and you know, some people will roll their eyes, but. Um, I can tell you that right up until kickoff in the Western final, there was some real concern about Nick Dembski and Rashid Bailey and Greg McRae, and they all suited up. So um, what is it? It's only Wednesday. There's still some time to go. I don't know. Maybe Alcatur and his group can uh, perform some miracles before Sunday. Uh, you know, I think like all of us, I'm a little bit, I would, I would uh, say I'm a little bit worried about the availability of two, but still kind of hopeful. We'll see. Yeah, I'm definitely worried about Schoen and uh, Adam Big Hill, but like you said, we'll see. And uh, uh, as we get closer today, Ed, um, Ed, I was looking at the stats from last year's Grey Cup. How much do you think the way Caleros and some of the other key performers just didn't have their best games then will play out on this Sunday? Being in the means of, I just don't think an athlete like Zach Caleros will ever let that happen again in a game of this magnitude. 
Yeah, I, there's a lot of factors that go into that, Jim. I think, you know, they've they talked from the very moment of, after that loss to Toronto and Regina last year that, you know, there was a lot of tears in the dressing room that night and guys were talking about how they can use it as fuel. And I think a lot did into the off season and their training. And But when training camp started this season, a, a lot had shelved it. It's, you know, there's different guys sitting to, as much as there's continuity with this team, there's different guys in that locker room that, you know, that's that the Toronto game has no reference point to them. So I think, uh, you know, let's remember Zach Claros was working on a bad wheel last year with that uh, high ankle sprain. Mm-hmm. I think that impacted him, but you make a good point. I think it's, you know, those things are get asked again all through this week. I was, they did a media car wash thing today where, you know, there's a few players, like 20 players or so that are at podiums and do a bunch of different interviews. And I'm sure I heard that question a dozen time times today about how, does last year impact this year? And, you know, it's going to be different for everybody. You know, I'm not sure if Zach Claros is the type that carries that into into uh, this Sunday, but, you know, I think it's only natural that you're still going to be thinking about falling a point short last year and all the things that you left behind in that moment. Even Coach O'Shea said today, you know, they did a deep dive after that loss, and it's not just about you know, calling up play number 21 and this happened or play number 43 and this is what happened. It's it's revisiting everything about, you know, your practice week, your preparation. And, uh, you know, I, it sounds um, kind of cliche, but sometimes you have to learn to lose again to to uh, appreciate the winning. And I think that team, this team has gone through so much of that this year to yeah. get back to this point. Yeah, that just made me think of that O'Shea quote, uh, Cam, right before we ask the next question about last year where he said, this loss will stick with him a lot yeah. more than the previous two Grey mm-hmm. Cup wins will. Absolutely, and I thought, forever. Yeah, yeah forever. That, that is, I, I thought there's there's a whole crew of players that will be back this year with two rings, and they'll be thinking more about that loss than they are the two rings. Absolutely, and that's a narrative that's continued all through the year, and then it it, it builds this year, right? So, Again, this you know I don't know how many new guys are in that locker room, but I was in the team meeting the other day when Coach O'Shea addressed the team on when we first got here, and uh, you know he he basically said uh, for those of you that are back, this is why we're back, right? We're back for this for this moment. Use how use it however you can to get yourself ready for Sunday. Uh, yeah, Ed, um, Ed Tate, senior repi- uh, writer and reporter with Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Uh, Ed, th- these this Al team are no slouches. I mean, it's kind of been quiet because the Bombers haven't played them since week 12, but they finished the year at 11 and 7. Um, I know the Bombers, uh, you know, trounced them 47 to 17 back in that week 12 matchup at IG Field. Uh, but I, I look at that 11 and 7 record and I think back to 2019, and that was the same record the Winnipeg Blue Bombers had heading into the playoffs here. So th- th- this is not a team where the Winnipeg Blue Bombers can look lightly or fans can uh, perhaps say, oh, you know, this is a, this is going to be an easy win for the Bombers. It certainly is not. No, not at all, Cam. It's a good point. You know, the team that they beat in the summer, they beat Montreal in Montreal on Canada Day 17-3, and I think the win in Winnipeg was 47-17. But, I mean, the team, the Alouettes have added Sean Lemon. They've added Darnell Sankey on defense, and they've, they've got a lot of momentum right now, you know. So much was made uh, this season about them not having a win in the regular season over the big three, so to speak, over Winnipeg, BC, or Toronto. All 11 of their wins came on against the rest of the league, but they just look like a different team right now. And confidence and momentum can be funny things. And you, you referenced 2019, and that's the perfect 
example of that. That bomber team, you know, had to go into Calgary and had to go into Saskatchewan to to win just to get to the Grey Cup and carried that into the to the championship game. So I'm sure the Alouettes feel that way too. Um, they're a very talented team. I know this. The, the, you're talking to a few of the offensive players today. They have so much respect for what their defense coordinator, Noel Thorpe, has done with that defense. And like I said, when you add guys like Lemon and Sankey to an already pretty good crew, that, that's, a, that's a scary uh, matchup for Winnipeg offensively. I know that he downplayed it and called it goofy. Um, but when I heard that, I started looking at it, and we could go on and on about as a player, as an assistant coach, now as a head coach, a hundred years from now, Mike O'Shea's name will be absolutely legendary in the Canadian football. And he'll league. hate every second of it. And he'll hate every second of it. Um, <laughs> I, I loved your piece, Ed, by the way, because yeah. it was perfect. Yeah, great anyone, writing, anyone who's ever been around or interacted with Mike O'Shea, they know that it was a perfect, perfect article. I mean, maybe his son 50 years from now will drop his name to get a free meal. I don't know. But um, <laughs> he, is, he is on the cusp, if not already there, of just as a Canadian in this league, player, assistant coach, head coach, done an absolutely legendary job of, of Canadian football. You know, that's a good point. I, I have to look this up. I'm not sure if this has happened before. I'll check with the league. Um, but I wonder, he's already in the Hall of Fame as a player. I wonder if he could go in the Hall of Fame as a coach because we're reaching that status of this guy with this guy too, right? And you're right. You're both right. If you were to, you know, put the camera on him or stick a microphone in his face and say, hey, let's talk about you again as a legend. He'd want to poke your eyes out, right? Because it takes away from everything that's every fiber in his being about team first, team first. And, you know, he, he hates it when players, uh, you know, begin and end sentences with, I did this and I did that without praising your teammates or where guys celebrate by by their on their own after a big play, they can get called out by the boss because that's goes against the, his DNA. So, but to your point, uh, I, I mean, I mentioned this in this in the story. There's already two statues at IG Field and Cal Murphy and Bud Grant, and I think we can start picking out a spot for where another one should go, and it'll be Coach O'Shea. It's just he's been remarkable what he's been. He said his fingerprints are all over this uh, this this transformation of the franchise since he got here. Ed Tate, senior writer and reporter with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in Hamilton for Great Cup 110. Ed, Ed, thanks so much. You take care, okay? Appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me on. Have a good day. Thanks for sparring with us, Ed. Great Cup reports are brought to you by Harvest Honda in Steinbach, where it's always worth the trip, harvesthonda.com. This is going to be a real tough game. And the more I look at it, the more I look into the situation, who the Alouettes are, just as Ed was talking about, they're coming in with a lot of confidence. And there's been so many times that fans of whatever sport, you're kind of sitting there watching, saying, oh, that's the team I want to play. Oh, this is a this is a good, uh, this is a better matchup for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers than perhaps the Toronto Argonauts. Yeah. Sometimes it's true. And other times you got to be careful what you wish for. Because sometimes it, it comes back to bite you. And the Alouettes are, are all those things that Ed, that Ed Tate was, was talking about. Well, there. when I was at a... Um local establishment before the game pre-gaming um the jets game is on but in the corner was the montreal toronto game and that place erupted every time montreal scored 
like Bomber fans are desperately. Now, look, it doesn't mean they think it's going to be an yeah. easy game. It just thinks of the two teams, you probably have a better shot of Montreal. I, and I think there's a little bit of, you know, the 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 Argos resting their guys when they came to IG Field and beating him in the Grey Cup. That's what I was kind well, of rooting for. I didn't want Toronto to I win think at Bomber all. Bomber fans don't like Toronto because they were literally better than the Bombers this year. Yeah. I know the Bombers beat them, but there was a lineup and they had a better overall record. But it was interesting how they wanted Montreal. And, I mean, the other thing that is going to play into this is who's hot right now. It always is. And Montreal has played it, you know, um, two games to get here. There's that continuity of three weeks in a row of playing, not having a week off and stuff. But with a veteran team like this, I think it's going to be a great game. I think that offense without Schoen and 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 if Big Hill can't play, I think they're in trouble with the the two. But I'll take Zach Claros and a depleted offense over Cody Fajardo all day long. Be, is, I'm with you on that. It is a defensive battle. It is which defense can can first of all which offense can protect the ball, and then which defense can sort of slow down which other offense. So I think it's going to be a great game. Let's, let's let's take a break. Let's come back on the other side. We'll talk about a little bit of Connor Hellebuck. Talk about his save percentage. Is it is it indicative? How does he feel? Well, he spoke earlier this week at practice. We'll we'll talk about that. Changes to three on three as well, potentially. Well, it's been tabled until next year, but we'll talk about it anyway. We'll be right back. Chats at noon on six eighty CJOB. With the NHL's Colin Campbell talking to GMs about a decision to move forward and talk about changing rules uh, in regards to three-on-three OT, continually looping back and forth, regrouping and all that. Uh, they don't want they, they want to keep teams in the offensive zone. They don't want them to go back, yeah. you know, to the red and blue line for keep changes possession. and stuff. Yeah, keep possession. Um, or at a shot clock. I agree with that. I do not like the shot clock idea. I think if you gain the offensive zone yeah. and can hold it for 35 seconds, I don't think you need to have a shot. Eleven seconds earlier than that. It's three on three. You're gonna you're gonna you're gonna shoot the puck. But I do like the. I don't know about the offensive zone, but I do know about center. I do not want teams to be able to go back over center again. Yeah. I think once you're over that center line, you can clear the zone. But also that'll create more chaos if you leave the offensive zone and can't cross center in that neutral zone. There'll mm-hmm. be more chaos in there and more turnovers. Yeah. Um, but I do like the aspect of making sure that you can't back all the way into your own end, change. Yeah. Because it's just a possession thing right now, right? Yeah. And a lot of times teams aren't even shooting because they don't have an idea, ideal shot. I don't like a, a time shot clock, but I do like the not allowing them to back up past center again. And I think it'll create more turnovers and more excitement and more chances for each team. Speaking of, and also to mention Connor Hellebach here, yeah, last night his save percentage was... Nine one two, which is very good, um, but he has an eight nine four save percentage overall this year. Um, and I, and I, this was him talking about his game earlier this week at practice. I know statistically it's not where you want it to be, but my details are right, my game's right. Not letting in any bad goals, maybe one or two, but honestly, like it's good. I, what I'm looking for in my game right now is to start stealing a few more goals. And then the stats will hopefully just come. I mean, we're obviously playing a different way. We're playing really good defensive hockey, and I'm not getting as many filler shots. So, I mean, if you're just looking at stats, you're like, oh, this season's bad. But, no, my uh, my game's are right. My details are great. Um, my movement's great. And, you know, I'm just going to continue to build on what I have, and i got to be patient. The PK has struggled this year and allowed two more goals on the power play. Now, fair, just to be fair, 
Jersey Devils have the first ranked power play in the NHL, and that's even without the likes of Jack Hughes and Nico Heischer. It, it's a well-oiled machine, uh, but still let in two goals yesterday. And so I was wondering about the save percentage, you know, eight nine four for Connor Hellebuck. And I looked it up of his five on five play. Well, his five on five, his save percentage right now is nine one seven, um, which is good, which is great, and yeah. that's that's closer to where Connor Hellebuck I think is going to end the year altogether. I I loved everything you just said there. Yeah, steal a few more goals because he's not seen a lot of shots. The days yeah. of him seeing forty shots a game are apparently over, and that leads to a higher save percentage, right? Totally. I go back two years ago when Rick Bonus got here. 25 shots or less per game. That was part of his goals. And I think that's why his numbers are, he's playing really well. But I liked what he said too, stealing a few more goals. Instead of of winning 5-3, instead of winning 6-3, win 5-2, win 4-1. I think that's going to happen. Breaking news here, Mitchell Clinton, our color analyst here in 680 CJOB. Scott O'Neill just wrapped up uh, the media session by saying Rasmus Kapari will be out four to six weeks. Oh, with a shoulder. No Kapari, four to six weeks. Don't know if it's a shoulder, but I assume it is. All right, well, we'll see what's going to happen. There's going to be obviously news, some changes coming to the team, call-ups, all that stuff. Uh, Stay tuned here to 680 CJOB for the latest on that. Thank you very much, Jeffrey Fortier, for producing the show. Jim Tilda, take all the way to 3 o'clock. Stay for me. I'm back. Stay for the show. Chats at noon on 680 CJOB.